0: Welcome to China in Context, I'm Duncan Bartlett. It is the assessment of the CIA that no other leader has paid more attention to Russia's faltering war efforts in Ukraine than Xi Jinping. The agency's director, William Burns, believes that China's president has been unsettled and sobered by what he's seen. In Mr. Burns' view, the Chinese would have been shocked by the poor military performance of the Russians and impressed by the degree of Western solidarity in support of Ukraine. Mr. Burns went on to claim that a recent uprising by the Wagner mercenary group in Russia has exposed signs of weakness in the regime of Vladimir Putin. Well, here to help us understand the complex relationship between China and Russia... I'm very pleased to welcome back a scholar who's extremely skilled at analysing such issues. He's Dr. Moritz Rudolph from Yale Law School's Paulside China Centre. Maurice, thank you very much indeed for joining us once again here on China in Context. Thank you for having me. Now, I was reading an article in the Moscow Times, actually, by way of research for our discussion, and it noted that Russia and China have grown closer in the military sphere since Russia launched its Ukraine offensive last year, a move which China has not condemned. And it described the two countries as allies. Do you think allies is the appropriate word?
1: Well, um, since 2011, China and Russia, they have been comprehensive strategic partners of coordination. So that includes like cooperation and global governance and like, a shared, they have a shared strategic outlook um, of the world. I think also when you look at like the February two thousand and twenty-two no limit partnership reference in in, in their joint declaration, um, well those are indications for this. But it's I think it's important to note that that this term of no limit partnership has not reappeared um, since. And for the Chinese side, they framed their relationship with Russia like as a model of a new type of major power relations so they they focus on like the intergenerational friendship or like be, deep trust between the two countries after decades of um, of deep mistrust but it's explicitly not an alliance like from the from the chinese side they they usually declare that it is that the relationship with russia is not an alliance and um, you can also for instance see that there's like no clear endorsement of russia's position in the war or for instance, a recognition of annexed Crimea in 2014. So they're trying to, to be like in the middle of this, but it's like, it's not, I wouldn't describe it as an alliance.
0: Now, I noticed many similarities in tone between Russia and Chinese propaganda. They both grumble about American hegemony, for example. The US sees the two countries as adversaries. And I mentioned William Burns, the director of the CIA just now, He's been appointed to Joe Biden's cabinet and the president has praised him for tackling Russia's brutal aggression against Ukraine and also managing responsible competition with the People's Republic of China. Can you talk us through the connection between those two projects?
1: Well, I think in the US, there's a tendency to put Russia and China in the same box. And um, while the US is supplying Ukraine with weapons to fight against Russia, but the U.S. is also focusing on like weakening the PRC's ability to modernize, like, for instance, via sanctions and um, trade and investment restrictions. But um, I think on a more general level, China is viewed as a more relevant competitor than Russia. There's more focus on, on, on China than on Russia. And China is also viewed as a bigger challenge when it comes to remaining number one in the world.
0: I think you're right. There is a tendency to put Russia and China into the same box, as you say. But perhaps that's not surprising when they seem to cooperate in many areas, economically and militarily.
1: Yes, that's true. But in the end, I think China is pursuing its own um, goals and its own ambitions. And um, Russia is more or less having like, the role of a junior um, partner in this endeavor. But in the end, like the PRC is focusing on its own domestic development um, goals. And, and this is more relevant for the Chinese side than closer cooperation
0: uh, with Russia. Ah, so that's interesting. When you describe Russia as being the junior partner, that suggests quite an imbalance in the relationship. Yes,
1: I think since 2014, we've seen a clear tendency of Russia turning to, towards China. This is when you had like the first sanctions after the, the war, um, like the annexation of Crimea. And um, like sanctions against Russia, and this um, went hand in hand with like more visits from Vladimir Putin to China and to um, like look for new um, markets when it comes to exporting its natural resources. And the Chinese side there back then they were really interested in in increasing their relationships in terms of imports from from natural resources. But the imbalance is, is
0: staggering at this point, I would say. William Burns of the CIA actually made a clandestine trip to China in May 2023. What do you think the purpose was of that visit?
1: Well, I think this was like part of the general trend to re-establish bilateral relations between the United States and China. So the visit, I think, was just like part of this endeavor, which is good that the two largest superpowers in the world are, are talking again. And I think when it comes like, to, the, to the topics, you have like priority topics, like the first one being cross-strait relations and the second one being the development of um,
0: Chinese-Russian relations. Now, one of the questions which the CIA's agents are trying to find out is whether or not the Chinese side is backing the Russian army militarily in its fight with Ukraine. This comes up at uh, press conferences at the Pentagon all the time. I did notice, actually, that Russia and China have conducted joint naval exercises uh, in the Pacific recently. Do you think that's significant? What do you think is going on? Well, I think we have to put this into context.
1: And like, since the mid-2000s, there's, of course, been increasing number of joint military exercises. The first Russian-Chinese military exercises took place in 2005. But now with like the Northern Interaction 2023 exercise, the ones that are going on right now, they just like they underline the general trend of closer military to military relations between between China and Russia. But um, at the same point of time, I think it's important to note that like the Chinese side, they explicitly say that they are not a a party to the conflict. And um, also the United States um, says and other countries that there's no evidence found of China actively supporting Russia's war efforts, despite the ideological and diplomatic support that we we can hear, but um, in the end, there's no evidence of like the the central government being um, supportive of sending arms and weaponry to to Russia. But I think like we will, it's very likely that we'll hear like more reports about like companies supplying Russia. And um, I also assume that the, the debate will shift more towards like the use of dual-use goods and whether the goods exported to Russia fall under, under supporting Russian war efforts or not. Well,
0: you've made many good points there, and one of them is that the Chinese government doesn't want to get embroiled in the war involving Russia and Ukraine. Actually, China's offered to instigate a dialogue to try to settle that conflict, it put forward what was described as a political solution, um, but the Americans dismissed it. So it's come to nothing as far as I can see. Uh, I think actually the US Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, called it a trap. Do you think, though, that the Russians would be amenable to following a Chinese peace plan, if that's actually the right term to use?
1: Well, I think you're right, first of all, that like, after Li Hui's trip through Europe, there hasn't been a follow up. And at this point, like giving the bombardment of um, grain zilos and so on, you would um, anticipate like for, for Li Hui to, to come up with a follow-up and like for the Chinese side to, to become more engaged. But I think um, we should not overestimate the Chinese leverage over Russia to sit down for peace talks. Um, like the Chinese rhetoric within the UN Security Council, they, they usually focus on on five points when, when, when declaring their position. And it's like the humanitarian situation, humanitarian law, nuclear security, especially when looking at the Saporizia nuclear power plant, then the control and like the avoidance of the economic spillover effects, preventing that the situation spirals out of control. And the, the fifth point is also the calls for like a political solution in, in peace talks. And um, while I don't see that much leverage from the Chinese side to actually get the Russian side to sit down and um, uh, with, with the Ukrainians, um, I think there's some aspects where they might have influence, especially in those areas where the Chinese side has already publicly stated that it has a, a huge interest and it wants to be perceived like as a responsible great power. And one of those issues is like the return of kidnapped children and another area is like the like clear violations of humanitarian law. Like those areas is, is like something where the Chinese side I would see them um, trying to discuss this with their um, Russian counterparts, with the bombardments of the of the of the grain silos and like um, of like the and discontinuation of the uh, Black Sea Grain Initiative. So when you look into the, the rhetoric of um, Gong Shuang, like the Chinese deputy permanent representative to the UN, you see like a slight shift, um, like a, a sign of frustration. So on, like, on June 23rd, he said, like, in the light um, of the current state of Ukraine crisis, every efforts must be made to prevent the situation from spiraling out of control. And then on July 21st, they said, like, the situation in Ukraine has continued to escalate, for some time, and has sh- have shown an ever expanding trend with many attacks on important civilian infrastructure. And then, just last week, he says there is no end in sight to this war, which China finds deeply concerning. And this is like in terms of like a frustration expressed from the Chinese side. This is a rather new development, especially when you when you know that the, the Chinese side has always been pushing for um, like the protection of civilian sites and like the the, the importance. Of the, um, of the Black Sea um, uh, Grain Initiative to move forward. And now we have an area where there's actually in the interest for, for the Chinese side like to have no further escalation of this because
0: it really directly impacts Chinese interests as well. I want to hear your views about the uprising by the Wagner mercenary group in Russia. There was nearly a coup, wasn't there? Although it was averted. And Putin, of course, holds on to power. How do you think China viewed that situation?
1: For China, the relationship with Russia, the, the key interest is like that they are stable and they are predictable. And with like the uh, potential or the, the attempted um, coup d'etat um, by, 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 by Wagner, this was a clear sign of uncertainty in the bilateral relationship, and this is always a problem for, for Beijing. So I think right now there's a sign of relief that um, Putin is still in charge, because of the close relations between Putin and Xi. And a lot of the development between China and Russia is um, due to like the the close ties between um, Xi Jinping and and, and Vladimir Putin. So there's a a deep level of trust. So if there were someone else to replace him, this would be for the Chinese side. Well, first be a lot of uncertainty because there's many issues where China and Russia are not on the same page and where there's like um, deep mistrust between the two countries they share a very long border as well. So from the Chinese side, I think they're still closely monitoring the situation. And um, at this point, a sign for relief that that Putin is still in charge.
0: Well, the Chinese may be relieved that Putin is still in charge. And I suppose uh, in comparison to a Wagner coup, there may be other uh, diplomats and political leaders around the world who may express some relief at that. Lastly, Many students at Chinese universities study the history of Russia and the Soviet Union. They're looking to see if they can get any lessons from that, which are relevant to the Chinese Communist Party. Now, you're based at Yale now in Connecticut, uh, and I'm sure that the perspective on history there is quite different to that in China. But let's imagine that your colleagues invited you to give a lecture on China and Russia. What topic would you choose? I think I would choose
1: a topic um, that focuses on comparing Russia's and China's attitude and approach towards the international legal order. Because I think um, while there are some similarities in the criticism of it, there are still a lot of differences when it comes to um, actually building coalitions within it, gaining discourse power, or trying to act within the system from the Chinese side in order to match the interests of Beijing.
0: That certainly sounds as it would be very much in your area of expertise, actually. I look forward to hearing that lecture. Sounds absolutely fascinating. Thank you, Moritz. That was Dr. Moritz Rudolph from Yale Law School's Poolside China Center on the line from Connecticut in the United States. This podcast is produced by the SOAS China Institute, part of the University of London. And you can find out more about the Institute's courses and research at soas.ac.uk. But for now, that's all from us here on the China in Context podcast team.